He's coming. And He's bringing out retributions to those who do not believe the gospel. You can chase the things of this world all day long. It doesn't matter. None of it. All of the materials, all of the desire, none of it matters. I beg you, listen. Jesus is coming again and He wants you to believe the gospel. And He's done everything for you. All you have to do is believe and trust in Jesus. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of 1 Peter. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Well, we've been studying uh, the book of 1 Peter. We've continued that study, and I've entitled today's sermon, Jesus' Victory Over Sin, Hell, and Death. Um. As we continue to walk through the book of 1 Peter, we've been looking into the life of a bunch of Christians that are suffering for their faith. Um, And maybe there are unbelievers even during this time that are looking uh, for answers as they see those being persecuted. And so the same with us today is maybe you're here as a Christian going through some difficulties or maybe you're even an unbeliever looking for answers. Uh, looking to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So we'll be continuing to look at the victories that Jesus had all the way from victory over sin, as we looked at last week, to victory over hell and death. Now last week I took verse 18 out of the entire pericope, is what they call it, of the scriptures to really proclaim the gospel message. And I hope that it came across clear. I hope the gospel was honored and, and preached. And I pray that it impacted your lives and those watching. And, and I hope that uh, somebody come to know Jesus Christ. Um, I can't save anybody. All I can do is preach the truth. And I pray that today the same goes forth. Last week we looked and to see how... Um, these things should fit together as Jesus has shown us victory over sin, hell, and death. These victories that Christ has accomplished should bring about a comfort in our day. And it brought about a comfort in their day. But it also should bring about a discomfort uh, for those that do not know Jesus Christ. Those that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's one thing to know about Jesus, and it's another thing to have a relationship with Jesus. I believe we live in a culture when lots of people know about Jesus, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And there's a big difference. And my hope is that as you leave out of these doors today, if you just know about Jesus, that's great. The demons know and they tremble. That doesn't make them believers. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so these victories that Christ has accomplished should bring you and I, that is those that have trusted in Jesus Christ, great comfort in knowing that He's had victory. But it should bring about discomfort for those that have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Those that are not in Christ, it should make you think about what the end will look like. What is the end result for your life? Because the older I get, the more death becomes a reality. 
And I don't know what it is with the month of June, but boy, there's been a lot of it this month in my life. It's become a reality. A dear friend of mine that I went to school with lost his 11-year-old daughter, got hit by a car crossing 278. Like that into eternity. Death is real. And we live many times as human beings and we forget that you and I will die. And it could be today. The question is, if you were to stand before God, is it that you know about Him or do you have a personal relationship with Him? Because He has given victory over sin, over hell, and over death. And that is great news. You see, our biggest fear in this world should be nothing more than God Himself. It's not an apostate church, although they're not good. It's not false teachers, while that's not good either. It's not flying on a plane. It's not being murdered in this flesh or find out that you've been diagnosed with some horrific disease or cancer. The reality is, is fear, we shouldn't even be fearful of death. Our biggest fear in this life should be God alone. Why? Because God is the one that can kill both body and soul in hell. Now, I'm not a, I don't want to fear you into believing in Jesus, but I don't want to skip over and give you something so palatable that you don't think about the reality of death and hell and the reality that we will all give an account for the Maker that has created us. Yes, God is love, but God is wrath. Yes, God is gracious, but God is just. You see, He offers hope, grace, and deliverance from sin Hell and death. But those that refuse to believe, listen, sin will separate you from God. Isaiah 59 3 says, Your sin has made a separation between you and your God. And the reality is this morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, is first understand that there's a separation that's taken place because of sin in your life, and you cannot get to God apart from Jesus Christ alone. Believing and trusting in Christ alone. Those that refuse to believe, death will rip you from the opportunity to embrace God's forgiveness. There will be no second chances. Once that heart stops beating or that breath leaves your lungs, you step into eternity in the state that you exist now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, what a horrific thought that would be. What hope is there apart from Christ? What hope is there? Those that refuse to believe, listen. Hell will be your eternal destination. And I want you to think about that because God loves you. And He doesn't want anybody to leave and depart in that state. So you can this morning rejoice in all that Christ has accomplished, all that Jesus has had victory over. Or you can reject all that he's accomplished. And the end results will be that. Regardless, let's turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. And I'll read here from the New American Standard. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 
in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of Noah kept waiting in the days of Noah and the patience of God keep waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, who at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Here in this passage, Peter begins with death. He begins with death and ends with resurrection. He begins with victory over sin and ends with victory over death. Last week we looked at the sufferings of Christ. We looked at His suffering for our sin, for our substitution, and for our security. All which were victorious. We noted that Jesus died once for all. The the Greek word used there talks about an event that's taken place that is complete and does not require replication. And we also noted that His death was a substitute. means that your sin was poured out on Jesus Christ and now all you have to do is repent of your sins and believe the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection... The Bible says you shall be saved. Very simple. We make more of it than it is. Jesus made it very simple. Believe the gospel and you shall be saved. And really that's what these verses are screaming today. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's really what we have again today is the victories of Christ showing the good news, the gospel message. And the last thing we looked at was the sufferings of Christ for our security. When you are saved, you are secure because Jesus was your deliverer unto the Father. You can't get to the Father apart from Jesus Christ, which brings about a security. You can't go there unless He takes you there. And so with that review, let us know that Jesus Christ has victory over sin. Today He reminds us of two more things, though, that He's got victory over. Two things that I would like for you to get from the text this morning. Very simple. Number one, Jesus had victory over hell. Jesus had victory over hell. Secondly, Jesus Christ had victory over death. Jesus had victory over hell and Jesus had victory over death. Why is it important that we know that Jesus had victory over all of these areas? And why is it important for us, the people of today, to hear that well i believe there's several reasons two i want to bring to light one is this the word of god and therefore it's valuable and therefore it's profitable and that's the most common reason why it's important because god says it's important because it's in his word secondly i believe it's important for us to see what we believe listen has come to pass jesus succeeded you see, we can't conquer sin. We can conquer hell. We can't conquer death. But Jesus could, and He did. And what encourages me as a Christian is that the sin that was once on me, that made me an enemy of God, is now on Jesus Christ. And I'm no longer an enemy of God. 
What encourages me as a Christian is that the hell in which I was destined for, headed to, because of an enemy of God that I was, He has removed my itinerary of hell because Jesus Christ had victory over hell. And what encourages me as a Christian is the death that once was a sentence for me to stand at judgment is now my entrance into the kingdom of God to seek and to save the lost because Jesus Christ came to do that. If you believe today that Jesus' victories triumphed over sin, hell, and over death, then you should, you should be highly encouraged to stand firm when things get hard, when difficulties come, when persecutions get heavy, and when trials come your way. Because listen, you will understand that this life is but a vapor. It's so minute in light of eternity and that Jesus Christ, the King, He is reigning And we will, if in Christ, transition to a life eternal with Him. And so that brings us to our first point, the fact that Jesus Christ had victory over hell. I don't know about you, but listen, I'd rather fail at something I know someday will triumph rather than triumphing over something I know will fail. Jesus has triumphed. And so can you because... You are partakers of the victory of Christ. He says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the the spirits now in prison. The text is telling us that Jesus Christ, between the time of his death and the time of his resurrection, he was made alive in the spirit. He died in the flesh, but was made alive in the spirit. He didn't just disappear, but the body died, and he was made alive forevermore in the spirit. And then in verse 19, he tells us just what happened when Jesus was made alive in the spirit. He says, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. We have here spirit prisoners somewhere in a prison and Jesus has gone to that prison and made proclamation to these spiritual prisoners. What in the world is he talking about? And the question that we need to ask here is two. Well, there's many questions we can't ask, but this, these are two important ones. Why did Jesus go there? And what did he have to say? Well, I want to try and answer that to the best of my ability and understand there are other views on this but this is what I believe that scripture shows us to be true because all scripture is inspired by God and we should have scripture interpreting scripture I think the Bible simply says he went to hell and made proclamations to the fallen angels for the purpose of proclaiming victory so we can say he had victory over hell Some of the passages that will help us understand what's happening here is found in Genesis chapter 6 and in the book of Jude. Now I go to Genesis because the context takes me there. And we'll see that in the next few verses. In verse 19 it says, In which he also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Peter is taking us to a time in which these spirits were disobedient. 
And that was the time of Noah. When Noah was preaching righteousness, when he was being patient during the construction of the ark. And if you recall there in Genesis chapter 6, the people were growing in number, and the daughters of men were being born. They were beautiful. And something striking striking takes place next. Remember, this is pre-flood. We saw that the lives of of the people were in shambles. There is mass evil within the human race, so much so that God desires to wipe off humanity except for those in the ark. And people were far from where God had designed them to be. Genesis 1.31, he said, God saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. We see something much different here. It had become very bad. And the angels in chapter 6 of Genesis says that they cohabitated with the daughters of men. Angels had relations with women, married, and had children. And listen, they had taken things too far and God had put them in their place. And so Jude tells us that these angels are fallen demons who did not keep their own abode, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. Here Christ goes into the depths and proclaims to these fallen angels that have cohabitated with the daughters of men and proclaims victory. Now the word used here for proclamation points to the idea that this is to make an official announcement, to make known a public declaration, to proclaim aloud. And it says Jesus has gone for the purpose of saying, we have had victory. He didn't go preach the gospel, giving them a second chance to believe in Jesus. No, the word used here for proclamation is really to make an announcement of victory. And he's declaring them the victory he had achieved by his death and by his resurrection. Verse 22 tells us that the angels, the authorities, and powers were placed under subjection to him. Christ proclaimed victory over hell. I like what John MacArthur says on this topic. He says this, and I quote, Jesus literally showed up in hell to tell them they had conquered, that they had been conquered, and hell was not going to be occupied the way they thought it would be. Millions would be rescued from eternal punishment, end quote. You see, there's victory in Jesus. He's had victory over hell. Many will be saved from the eternal punishment that they thought would be the way that they could bring many, but Jesus came onto the scene, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended up to the right hand of Father where He intercedes on our behalf. And many will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and there will be great victory. That should be encouraging to those that are in Christ, but again, discouraging to those that are not. You can be one of those protected from the punishment if you would simply repent and believe the gospel because Jesus Christ had victory over sin and over hell, but he also, Jesus, had victory over death. 
Believer, if you were to die today, you would be brought through the wrath of God because of Jesus Christ. We have nothing to worry about in this flesh. Now, I'm not saying that does, it makes life easy. I mean, there's pain and there's suffering and there's difficulties in this life. But at the end of the line, if somebody comes in and takes me out, if I get in my vehicle and I go to do something today and I'm cremated by a semi-truck and I'm... Listen, don't you weep for me? Because I'm living for eternity right now. Those that believe have eternal life, not will have, but have eternal life. If you're in Christ, you're living for eternity right now. It's just a transition from this world to the kingdom of God. That should bring us great encouragement to know that he has had victory over hell. Listen, you can be protected if you'll just simply repent and believe the gospel. Believer, Unbeliever is a little different. If you get in that car and you're cremated, you'll be stepping right into judgment. Now Peter begins to talk about these things. He says, when the, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the waters. The waters are the wrath of God, the judgment of God. And listen, the Bible says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many of those who find it, but, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and fewer who find it. Listen, the reality is there's more going down than there's going up. So as you go out and you proclaim the truth of the gospel, don't be discouraged if people are rejecting you. If there's more going down than there's going up, you're probably going to hear a lot more no's than you are yes's. But if you're not saving and the Lord Jesus Christ is saving, then what are we to worry about? We're to simply proclaim the truth and love and grace and mercy and to warn of the coming wrath. God's got to do the rest. We plant, we water, but it's God who does the growing. God was so patient during these times, offering salvation, offering deliverance, offering a way of escape that was sure to come. God told them to get in the ark. Tony, you remember that rap song we made when we was kids? God told Noah that the earth would be flooded. Animal came in pairs and some were cold-blooded. God told Noah and his family to sail out to sea and all the bad people were screaming, save me. But Noah said, no, you should have said your blessings and now you're going to learn a very good lesson. We must have been six, seven years old when we came up with that. But the reality is, is, listen, God, in his grace, wanted the people to get in the ark. He was patient. No, it was preaching righteousness and said that they would be spared from death if they would simply get on the boat. But they didn't. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They said, we don't need your God. Oh, supposedly it's going to rain. Listen, God offers you personally the same deliverance today. The same salvation today. 
He offers you a way to escape the coming wrath because Jesus will come again. He w- Listen to me very closely. He will come again. And if He doesn't before you die, you'll go there. And you'll stand before Him. And it will be too late. It will be too late. Wrath, I want you to know, folks, is coming. And for the believer, it should encourage us to go and share the hope of Jesus Christ with a world who is about to experience the wrath of God. That's important. That should drive us. I mean, if my house is on fire, I'm telling you, I'm leaving this pulpit, and I'm going to try to rip my kids out of it. I'm going to do everything I can to get them out of there. So why aren't we doing the same for those who are dying and going to hell? Why are we not sharing the gospel? Why are we not taking every opportunity we have? If we truly believe in the gospel, in salvation, that we've truly been regenerated. Now I can understand if I haven't been a a true born-again believer, like there's no spirit that indwells me, I could understand how I could come and sit in church and listen to a message and claim to know Christ, but never have been infiltrated with the gospel. But if you've been changed again, if you've been born again, if you've been indwelt with the Spirit of God, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And if Christ is living in me, why are we not sharing? Guys, this is a reality. We need to share the hope of Jesus. Because they're dying. And they're going to hell. Every second of the day. And we have the cure. It's the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel. Listen, God offers you personally the gospel. He offers you a a way out through Jesus Christ. Because He's coming again. The wrath is coming. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 9 reminds us that when it says the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. That means He's coming down. The same way He went up is the same way He's coming down. But He's coming this time, it says, with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retributions to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Please, I beg you, listen to me this morning. Listen. He's coming. And He's bringing out retributions to those who do not believe the gospel. You can chase the things of this world all day long. It doesn't matter. None of it. All of the materials, all of the desires, none of it matters. I beg you, listen. Jesus is coming again and He wants you to believe the gospel. And He's done everything for you. All you have to do is believe and trust in Jesus. That's it. And if your heart is hardened and you're rejecting the gospel, guess what? The wrath is coming whether you believe it or not. That's exactly what they did in the days of Noah. They mocked the preacher. But you know what happened? The floods came. 
And they were begging to get in the boat. But once the boat was sealed, it was too late. He is coming here, you're going there, it makes no difference. The only thing that matters is that today, listen, God has given you a breath in your lungs for you to set aside your pride, to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God who created you. Listen, you don't believe in God? You tell me where you came from. Nothing in this world has ever created itself. That pew you're sitting in, somebody had to make it. That shirt on your body, somebody had to make it. Listen, somebody made us. The Creator is real, and the Bible is true, and it's accurate. And it's full of prophecies that have been fulfilled. Don't, in your ignorance, push it away because you want to rebel against the holy and righteous God. Jesus loves you. Repent, believe, and be saved. Listen, be careful who you find yourself with because trash in is trash out. You find those that encourage you to continue in your disbelief, be careful because both of you will go right outside of the boat. Find yourself with someone that will encourage you, that will strengthen you, that will build you up, that will tell you when you do wrong, that will love you, that will honor you, and tell you of your worth. And tell you that Jesus Christ loves you. Listen, he has been patient. Praise God he's been patient. Because I wasn't saved until March 25th, 2001. What if, he, what if he'd awaited? What if he came back on March 24th? One day he's going to pull the trigger. And he's going to bust through those clouds and he's going to be revealed from heavy with, a mighty, with his mighty angels in a flaming fire and he's going to deal out retributions to those who do not know God. Just like in the days of Noah, he's been patient. It won't rain, it won't flood. He preached, but they failed to heed the warning. Don't be like them. They're an example. When all the many had perished, There was a few. They came through and were delivered. That vessel was the ark. And today our vessel is Jesus Christ. Evaluate your life. If you're truly filled with the Spirit of God, you will have conviction in your heart. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, you're going to sin, but if there's no conviction in your heart that you've sinned and you've sinned against the holy and righteous God, listen, there's most likely nothing that's taking place in your heart because he says, I will give you a new heart. Off with the old and on with the new. He gives us conviction. The ark is a great picture of Jesus Christ. The ark is a type of Christ. Look, they got into the ark and they were sealed. And when they come to believe in Jesus Christ, you are sealed in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Protected from the wrath to come. I love what this one pastor said. I don't know who, who he was. But it said, Noah may have fell down in the ark, but he never fell out. You see, this morning you may come as a believer. You say, I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. 
It's not my works. It's not my efforts. It's not my deal. I believe that if I were to die today, I would go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary. And he paid my penalty for sin. And I place my true, complete faith in that. Listen, if you come this morning, you find yourself sinning, repent and believe. You're not saved by your works, but if you're sinning and there's no repentance in your heart, I find it hard to believe that that salvation exists. Because you can't be saved by an almighty God and have no change in your life. The greatest tool of the enemy, other than the wedge we looked at last week, is to convince an unbeliever that they are saved because they prayed a prayer. There's nowhere in Scripture that says, come pray a prayer and you'll be saved. There's no Scripture you'll find anywhere that says, walk the aisle and trust in Jesus. But what he does say is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You may fall down as a believer, but that doesn't mean you've fallen out of grace. Repent and believe the gospel if you're not a believer. And confess your sins if you are. How was it that Noah was brought safely through the water? Well, it depends on your relationship to the ark. The same water that flooded the world that killed millions of people, it's the same water that lifted the ark up and set them on Mount Ararat in safety. You see, many were trying in other ways to save themselves from the wrath of God, and they were wiped off the face of the earth because God made a way, and that way was one way through the gate of the ark. And it delivered them from the wrath of God. Listen, Christ is the way. He is the way. He's the only way. He's not a way. He's not the best way. He is the only way in which God has given you for salvation. And when you try to make it in your own way, one day the wrath of God, when it's poured out, you will be like them in the days of Noah that were trusting in their own ways. Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Today you may have fallen as a Christian, but get up and repent. For once you're sealed in Christ, you are sealed for good. Peter is now going to show us the comparison or picture of the flood and the death, burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through this example, he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just like that example of being delivered through the water, baptism now saves you. Does this mean that unless you are baptized, you cannot enter the kingdom of God? Does that sound like good theology? Didn't we just uh, say that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone? Not, you didn't hear me say anything about baptism, right? Baptism doesn't save a soul. Well, the text here says, now baptism saves you. Well, it's important that we understand this is a huge contradiction in Scripture. If this is true. And we have really big issues if this is true. So, if it's infallible, which we know it to be infallible, then we have a misunderstanding of how we're reading it. 
Because I believe that God's word is without error. It's inspired by God. And if we would simply allow scripture to interpret scripture, we'd be a lot better off. You see, the Bible says that it's the power of the gospel to save, not baptism. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Read it when you get home. Just to top that off, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Listen, if baptism saves, why in the world would Christ not send Paul to baptize? Paul knew his purpose well. Why? Because Jesus Christ, you remember there on the road to Damascus, authorized by the leading priest, I had many of the Christians thrown in prison, had them whipped, they had them beat, sent them to prison, and, and, and had them, I, I, what do you say? I used to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. He said, one day I was on a road such to Damascus, authorized by the leading priest, So he's on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, a light, brighter than heaven, shones down on me and my companions. He said, we all fell down. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? I asked. He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Okay, that's great. He said, stand up for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You want to tell the world about this experience, about other times I will appear to you. And he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, yeah, I'm sending you to your people. And then he says this, so you can tell them this is how salvation comes about. So that their eyes may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they can receive forgiveness for their sins by being set apart by what? Faith in me. Acts chapter 26, read it. He didn't say, this is Jesus talking to Saul on the road. Stand up for a period to appoint you, my servant, my witness. You're to tell the world about this experience and by other times I'll appear to you. And I will protect you from your own people. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from the, the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they can receive forgiveness for their sins who are set apart by faith in me. He didn't say nothing about baptism. And I don't think Jesus would have left that out if it was a part. Peter can't be talking about baptism here. So what is he speaking of? So corresponding to that, which means an antitype, something that is represented by a symbol. So what is it that ties baptism and the flood together? It's simply saying in the same way that water corresponds to the ark in the flood, so it corresponds to baptism. Just like the flood waters lifting up the ark in in protection represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It represents the same. Listen, Peter is saying that baptism is a picture of what one does as a believer. Buried with Christ, risen in newness in life, baptism. And just in case you have any questions about that, he says this, it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. But it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It always points back 
to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's your appeal to God through the resurrection. When you get baptized, when you go down in that water, it's a public confession that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, that I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a public confession of the inward decision. And you are simply saying, I understand and I agree that this is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves me. And I'm doing this as a way of publicly confessing before men because we can sit here and do it in here. And it really, I mean, it's important, don't get me wrong, but when they did it back then, they were excommunicated from their culture because they did it publicly. You see, we have the freedom to worship here. But you go into the northern parts of India and lay. We have church in, in a building at night underground and with lights, like cell phone lights. I got video of hundreds of kids singing praises to Jesus in the dark. So dark I can't even video it. All you can hear is the audio going. Beautiful. Public confession of an inward change. Listen, baptism cannot wash away your sins. But yet is a public confession of an inward change. The only way, it's a picture of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why we do it by immersion. We don't sprinkle you. We don't splash you. We don't dunk your head in the bowl. It's not about tradition. It's about doing it the way God calls us to do it, by immersion. Because it represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Greek word there means to dunk, to emerge, baptizo. You see, Peter wants you to see that he has had victory over death. And he's had victory over hell. The victory over death, God wants us to understand this resurrection when you are baptized is a picture of this victory. And because he was raised from the dead and he conquered death, that we might have life. This morning, if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be baptized. Not baptized after, you know, before you're a believer because mom and dad wanted you to get you on an Easter Sunday to get you dunked as a kid. Listen, the Ethiopian eunuch asked, what prevents me from being baptized? He says, what, you must first believe and then be baptized. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Jesus being brought to life, having victory over death, that gives us hope to stand strong. Christ has had victory over sin. Christ has had victory over hell. And Christ has had victory over death. And for that, we have so much to rejoice about. We have so much to be thankful for and so much to be encouraged about. Let me ask you this morning, have you trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Because I want you to understand loud and clear this morning, he has placed Christ there as the vessel in which you can be saved. If you just place your pride to the side. I wonder how many people enter the kingdom of God because they've laid aside pride and God has used that to honor them and show them the goodness of his grace and mercy. But how many have stepped separated from God eternally because of their pride? 
because of their embarrassment to come and to publicly, publicly profess before man that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. Don't let today be a day that you pass off just as another day, but today let the day be the day of salvation. I don't care what your friends think. I don't care what your mom thinks or your dad thinks or your grandparents think. What about you? Are you truly, truly born again? Because you might dupe me and you might even dupe your mama and your daddy. But I can tell you one, there's not, you're not going to do it. And that's Jesus Christ. But see, he can see you right through this pretty tie, right through this pretty little shirt, right into my old nasty heart. If you trusted Christ today, do that. We've seen the victories. Let's take advantage of them. We would like to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of 1 Peter. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Ridgeville, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org and to find out more information about the ministry of Pastor Stuart Guthrie, check him out on the web at gettingintheword.com. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.